Since everyone has a gender journey, Gender Journeys is a podcast for everyone. That being said, we occasionally touch on mature themes and use strong language, so listener discretion is advised. everyone, and welcome back to Gender Journey, the podcast where we talk about just what the heck gender actually is in context. Uh, as always, I am one of your hosts, Josie, and I am joined by your other host, my lovely partner, Al. Hey everyone, so I want to kick off this episode by giving a shout out to my friend Em. They are on a queer Discord with me, and they've been listening to the podcast and sending me awesome little anecdotes about their thoughts and feelings about it, and it just, it brings me a lot of joy, it brings Josie a lot of joy, mm-hmm. and so... I just wanted to give them a shout out. Hey, Em. <laughs> Thank you very much for your kindness. <laughs> Indeed. So what are we talking about on the podcast this week? Y'all, this week we are going to talk about bodies and our weird, complicated relationships with these just, you know, flesh bags that we carry through the oh, world. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's the one. Something that has been just on my heart and soul is the fact that I think everybody has at least some amount of an issue with the difference between how they see themselves, and how people around them see them. And that's just part of the human condition. That's it. That's just everyone. And I think that it gets even more complicated when you add in gender nonconformity to it, because then you're also concerned not only with just, like, how people perceive you versus how you perceive you, but adding in all this, like, gendered nonsense to it in a system that gender has... A weak definition at best. Everybody has a different idea of what it means. Like, not even talk about how different cultures see it differently. Like, it's just, it's a whole can of worms. So, you probably perceive your own gender very differently than other people's do, even if you're cis. And then, if you're not cis, oh boy, it's just a, it's a whole can of worms. So, that's been very much on my heart and soul. So, that's what we're going to talk about our relationships with our bodies and how we have worked to make them more positive or at least more neutral, which is language that I tend to appreciate. So do you want to start off talking about your body experience, or would you like me to touch on mine a little bit? You go first. I can go first, all right. So as I have said previously on the podcast, I identify myself as a non-op trans person. As a quick recap, that just basically means that I don't want any sort of surgeries that are traditionally associated with trans women. But, you know, there's, there's a lot of surgeries that trans women can get and often do get, and that is wonderful for the people that that feels like the correct step for them. Um, but for me, the idea of surgery... Uh, especially, specifically, SRS really kind of freak me out and don't feel like they'd be very uh, satisfying to my kind of end goal of transition. So I have kind of divested myself from the idea that surgery would be a good way to kind of achieve gender euphoria and make my body align with my internal feelings of my gender. Yeah, isn't that the goal? Yeah. Yeah, isn't that the goal? And a lot of that process has been both kind of a nice blend of body positivity and body neutrality, but the main thing for me has been ever since I have started on my HRT, I have made a real effort to try and like love what my body can do with hormones and not judge my body for the things that it can't do with hormones. 
Um, I started HRT when I was 23, so for the most part, my bone structure was completely set. My shoulders, my jaw, uh, my ribcage, things like that were all set in that testosterone puberty layout. And for a long time, that brought me so much distress because it, it, to me, in the mirror, looked so very masculine. And it's taken a lot of effort and a couple of tattoos to (laughs) make me really feel like I can radically love the shape that my body is in the context of what my body can do for itself. But I think, interestingly, to the point of something you said earlier, that like everybody has the issue they want to be seen a certain way. And the intersection of that with the gender nonconformity, there are certain aspects of our bodies as gender expansive, gender nonconforming people that we might focus on really heavily in our day-to-day life that we think is really super duper important mm-hmm. to how the world will see our gender that like a cis person just wouldn't be able to make. Right. And that doesn't mean that the cis person wouldn't unconsciously notice it because Lord above, our cis people are good at misgendering people. They, they, it seems like a talent. It really do. So that's the subconscious ability to pick up on small gendered things. 100% it's there. But they can't necessarily name it in the way that some people seem afraid of. Yeah. And realizing that disconnect that I see in other people has allowed me to kind of separate out how I feel about my body and how I feel like other people perceive my body. Because mm-hmm. they're very different for me at this point. Because I feel like, especially maybe in the like non-conforming community, body positivity often looks and sounds like if you identify as a guy and you have tits, then your tits are masculine, which is a fantastic argument. 10 out of 10. I really enjoy it. I think it's a lot of fun. And it completely ignores the reality that if you are a guy and you have tits, the world will not see your tits as masculine. You can't get around that. Maybe you can build a small enclave of people who see it that way. And that's amazing. But like right. society at large is not going to do that. Right. And so you have to also face the reality that like, masculine as your tits might be they're going to be perceived a different way and so that's like a big distinction i've made in my head around my body as somebody with like a very afab body wanting to see my body as gender neutral i can just i'm working to be able to just do that but then you have to deal with the secondary like okay but other people will perceive me differently but at least then it's a little bit more distance from yourself and i think that that's part of the body neutrality for me is that like it's less so my problem if you're misperceiving my body. Right. Like, it is still my problem if it leads to you not using my correct pronouns or not seeing me, but, like, it's not my fault in the way that I think that some people internalize the misidentification of their body, if that makes sense. Yeah. It allows me to kind of, like, pass that blame off, where I'm like, okay, I see where the miscommunication is happening. You have the antiquated idea that tits are feminine. And, like, I get that. I understand that you think that, but it's not correct. Right. (laughs) And so it's not my fault if you misunderstand because of that. I I think something that's interesting and probably important to note is I, as a binary trans person, despite being not off, have a pretty distinct advantage in this uh, arena in that I can pretty categorically divide things into yes no in terms of mm-hmm. what I want and that can make it really comparatively easy for me to look at my body and be like oh, I am beautiful I am neutral this is a feminine body well and you have even the option of people gendering you correctly let's talk right. about it <laughs> right I mean exactly that's the thing it's like 
I have accumulated enough feminine traits for the switch to have flipped over and now every I mean strangers pretty much never misgender me unless I am like extremely underperforming femininity I don't think I've seen a stranger misgender you in like two years yeah it's been a minute and like, I mean, we don't leave the house anymore either, so that that helps. Right. I mean, it, it happens. It still happens, but it's not nearly as common as it once was. Um, and the it's generally takes me off guard, not because I... Well, I mean, it distresses me, but it doesn't catch me off guard because I'm distressed by it. It catches me off guard because I'm like, that was weird. <laughs> but I think that that's part of the ease of what gives me the ability to look at my body and be like, oh, wow, I'm so grateful for what you did with what you had. Mm-hmm. And like say and like thank my body for that. And I think similarly, because there are in the world, I mean there are in the world a lot of different models of femininity at this point. There is one overarching model of you know feminine beauty that gets advertised the most, but you can find subcultures that She's talking about white American women, just to be clear. Yes, I am I am referring specifically to the white Northern European westernized beauty standard mm-hmm. that uh, is held up as the ideal beauty standard and is despite prob- being the global minority, never forget it's problematic for a lot of reasons. That's problematic, but there are also a lot of spaces. Okay, I gotta give a TED talk on this. I got it just super quick TED talk. Okay. There's a, there are a couple of statistics I just have in my head that people should know. Okay, which is first off. That white people are the global minority. Never forget. I think that, like, especially in the U.S., that gets really... We are Mm -hmm. really good at erasing that fact. And number two, never forget that the white beauty standard is so ubiquitous that the number one global skincare product is a skin bleaching agent. Yeah, it's bad. Never forget that the, the number one skin product is to make the global majority look more like the global very minimal minority. Yes, and I think that that is a very important in that like this kind of ideal beauty standard that gets propped up in media and advertisements is problematic for a lot of reasons many of them colonial and racist but i've also through my time in queer spaces through my time interacting with various corners of tumblr and various kind of more niche media been given the chance to see a lot of different ways that women can look Mm. and so that has given me a lot of space to accept my own body and what my body can do for itself And I have a sneaking suspicion that perhaps that is not as true for somebody who is not binary. I think that I have to talk about my, like, intersectional identities at that point, right? Because I think if there are any non-binary folk out there for whom that is true, it is white AFAP non-binary folk. That's very true. Because we are building our own little niche. It's small. It's so tiny. But it exists. And there is, like, there is an aesthetic that speaks non-binary to at least the genderqueer community mm-hmm. would recognize a white AFAB body if they were trying to present non-binary. There's a way to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, the short hair, the beanies, the baggy, the baggy joggers. Like, there's a way. It right. exists. <laughs> but it's very niche in who would recognize it at all. And it is even more restrictive in terms of who can look that way. Because who, of course, can't look that way? A Mab non-binary folk, any other races. So it's very, it's very restrictive as to who can look that way and who has those models. Because I mean, also, it's not like I have people in TV to look up to, but at least in like Tumblr and at least in like my Discord, like there are images, there is, there is an aesthetic out there, but it's not ideal by any stretch of imagination. 
and it is so, so restricted. And I do think it's interesting, just in the way that society celebrates masculinity and condones femininity, I think it's very interesting that, what? I just I just love that it celebrates masculinity and um, condones femininity. Yeah, like, that's what it does, though. I know. But I think it's interesting, if you look at one of the most... I don't know, outward-facing, non-queer platforms that uh, genderqueer folk exist on, I would say YouTube. And if you look at the genderqueer YouTubers, the top genderqueer YouTubers, mm-hmm. first off, all of them that I've ever watched have been white. I went out of my way to find a black trans woman for a resource that I was creating. And the vast majority of them are relatively mass-presenting. And I think... I mean, hot take, and I don't have anything to back this up, really, but I think that has a lot to do with society is much more okay with quote-unquote women, i.e. AFAB people, moving more towards masculinity than they are okay with quote-unquote men, aka AMAB people, moving towards femininity. Right. I think that that is always (laughs) more acceptable. Yeah. And I think we talk about that relatively readily in the trans community, at least in the things that I read. We talk Mm -hmm. it relatively readily how much more at risk trans women are than trans men. Yeah. But we don't talk about it as much in the non-binary community. And yet, when you look around, it follows the same patterns, right? Only non-binary people who are enacting more masculine to balance out their inherently feminine are showcased. Right. And I think that comes across in a lot of the really, like, kind of pop media portrayals of non-binary people. I think when we talked about our... um, queer representation in media, we talked about how there's one singular big name show that has a non-binary character in it. I want to say it's called Billions. I now cannot remember. No, 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 no. It's like a horror. It's like a, it's like Stranger Things. It's like a... Oh, you mean Sabrina? I do mean Sabrina. Well, when I suggested Sabrina, you didn't want to watch Sabrina. Well, I know, but it has non-binary rep. That's what I'm saying. That's I'm not, so we're not talking about well, Eleanor's personal TV tape. <laughs> well, but a lot of what I have seen in looking at non-binary representation in media is often AFAB people mm-hmm. who are then performing some amount of masculinity mm-hmm. in so much as, I mean, I know when things are actively airing and the Tumblr community starts talking about, like, a new gender expansive character starting to explore their identity it's always like is it a trans man or is this a non-binary person and it, there's i mean that's really the only option because i can't think of in fiction a non-binary amab person isn't um i wish you were the best amab person that's true and this is another reason i wish you all the best that's true. Which one of us is an AMAB person? I'm, the reason I said fiction specifically was because I was going to point out that Jonathan Van Ness is uh, not binary. Hi, y'all. <laughs> he bothers me. I'm allowed. I don't have to like him because he's the one representation of my I'm gender. not saying you do. I just, but he is. He is AMAB. He is also AMAB. annoying. And he, okay, this is also annoying. But do you know who also always gets erased for their gender nonconformity? Mm-hmm. What's his name? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what is it? Sam what's his face? <laughs> uh, Sam Smith? Yes. That's true. Sam Smith is. Uh, I think he still goes by he had pronouns. I think he said he had all pronouns. Okay, I feel like we're really proving my point though, which is that he came out as gender non conforming and everybody was like, 
are you going to start wearing dresses? And he was like, no. And everybody was like, don't care. And right, right the fuck on. Right, because when when somebody who is AMAB tries to come out as gender expansive, then it's like, okay, how extreme are you going to make this? Like, what is your fireworks display to show that you're queer? Are you Jonathan Van Ness, for instance? And I mean, like, I would never try to say that my distaste for Jonathan Van Ness is free of bias. I'm sure it is. He also, my defense for myself, since we're talking about this, my defense for myself is that he also embodies a lot of femininity that I hate. Like, I just, I hate anybody who's embodying that type of femininity. I don't understand people who are wearing six-inch heels for no reason. I don't understand people who decide they want to twirl around. And I think that I have distaste for anybody who would do that. But I'm not trying to say that, like, my distaste for him is free of bias because of the way that he is unapologetically Jonathan Ben. <laughs> yeah. And so like, I'm aware of that fact and I'm gender non-conforming. How do you think people who aren't react to Jonathan Van Ness? I'm sure it is either very optical and very like, oh yeah, I love him, or it is even worse, right? That would be my assumption. Yeah. Unless they, I mean, like, there are probably, you find a lot of joy and That's true. Uh, visibility in Jonathan Van Ness as well. That's true. That's true. I mean, what would you, so then what would you want sort of as a... I want to see more options. Why is Jonathan Van Ness and the random person from Sabrina? Like, why are those my two options? That's true. And Janet. Janet doesn't count as non-binary, y'all. I'm not going to go into it. And so then how do you think that connects back to how we kind of, like, see ourselves and how we perceive others as perceiving our bodies? So I think that it's kind of nihilistic. <laughs> but a way I've been thinking recently is, like, it's so very near impossible or straight up and down impossible for me to do anything with my body. Like, if you gave me all the, like, if you gave me a magic wand, like, anything I could do to my body likely still wouldn't get people to actually see my gender for what it is. There is no coding around my gender. There is no equivalent of a suit and tie for gender fluidity, right? There's no, or high heels. There's no, like, hard and fast, this is what this gender means in societal eyes. Obviously, high heels and suit and ties are not actually gendered, but society definitely thinks they are. Right, I mean, I think that that you mentioned that earlier, in that, like, you can't just say this isn't gendered, because it isn't. It isn't. You can. It isn't. It isn't in your heart and soul, and it isn't in your close, close relationships. Hopefully, if you have loving and safe, close, close relationships. But once you exit, like your home, your emotional home, yeah, and you interact with other people, that part of your body is still going to be gendered. That's yeah. why I try to stay away from that sort of validation because, like, it it, it ignores reality. And yo. Sometimes ignoring reality is what's up. Sometimes you gotta just be like, can't deal with it today. But it doesn't change the fact that, like, when you leave, your tits are going to be judged as feminine. And so, like I was saying, it's kind of nihilistic, but a way that I've been thinking about it is there just isn't going to be a way for me to make my body look quote unquote correct to be seen as my gender in passing because people don't know how to see my gender in passing. And that's not their fault. That's society right there so trying to just embrace myself for being non-gendered because it's a hopeless game for me to try to get people to see my gender so i can just imagine whatever whatever it is that i want to imagine and like let people think what they will if that makes sense what does what does that look like for you wow if there wasn't 
fucking pandemic would look like getting a gender fluid symbol tattooed on my tit. But <laughs> there's a pandemic. I don't leave my house. I thought about stick and poking it. I googled it. Google really doesn't want you to do stick and pokes at home. Apparently, there's a lot of people trying to do stick and poke on themselves during this pandemic. Don't do it, y'all. <laughs> I googled it. Don't. I, I trust you on that, but it still does fascinate. The idea still does fascinate me. Y'all, if I get an infection from a stick and poke, you heard it here. You heard it here first. It's Josie's fault. This is hilarious to talk about because we both know that I would hold a needle in my hand, look at your skin, and be like, "This can't happen." This can't happen. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, but yeah, I mean, it, it's not perfect. This is a very, it's a rudimentary skill that I'm building, but it's trying to focus on what my internal gender says I want to wear, or my internal gender says I want to look like or feel like in my clothes, rather than how I'll be perceived. For instance, like one key example that it's really shown up in is Binding is something that a lot of AFAB bodies do to look more androgynous, and that's chill and all, but I don't like the way it feels because it it makes me think more about my chest because my chest is restricted, and in my opinion, it doesn't it doesn't make me look perfectly flat anyway, and so, like, why do that? Because even if I was perfectly flat, like, I'm not going to be passing for my gender. Like, the best I can hope for is to pass as a guy, and, like, that's not it. That's not it either, so why put myself in something restricting that doesn't feel right? I I think for me, one of the things that I have found interesting about your gender identity, and like your gender in general, as I have learned about it, (laughs) as it has blossomed before me, is that, and and stop me if this is incorrect, Mm. but I feel like your gender, to be seen in your gender, requires a sort of relationship with someone. Because every day you just embrace what you want to be, and then every day people see something different. Like when every day when someone looks at me, they see a woman. But with you, you when you can live your absolute best life, the pandemic is no one's absolute best life. No, it's not. You tend to vary your wardrobe, you punctuate, you do different forms of presentation, and it kind of forces the people who are at least trying to be kind to you to sort of reconcile that. That's true, but I think that's partly based on the fact that society doesn't know how to see my gender at first glance. That's a fair point. Because my gender is never a cis woman, and that is always what I will be seen as. Right. It's, it's never that somebody sees you at first glance and thinks, it blank slate for me to draw, to start sketching out an idea of gender. It's always... Wouldn't that be lovely? <laughs> Which is just... Yeah. It'd be so nice. Gender was somebody. Somebody's gender was one of those things you got to know about them over time, like their childhood or their favorite foods. Speaking to my soul, <laughs> like why can't that just be <laughs> normalize it? Yeah, yeah. I think part of the reason that people can't do that is part of the same reason that it feels so difficult for people to start transitions, if that makes sense. Okay, this is a leap. Stay with me. Okay, we're all with you. (laughs) So I think it's very hard for people to start thinking about gender or um, thinking about different names, different pronouns, taking different hormones, etc. Because it's all binary. Like either you are cis or you're trans. Either you are a guy or a girl or maybe 
maybe we're being really cool and you can also be non-binary, but we're doing it in that really binary sense of like, you're either that or you're not. Like, and you have to be 100% that. My friend that came out over the last year, it, part of what was so hard for her was she was like, well, now I've told everybody that I'm a gender, I believe was one of the first identities she tried on for a few months. And like, how am I going to ask them to change my name again? And ask them to change my pronouns again. And I'm like, yo, that's okay. Like, you don't have to be 100% what gender you're talking about right now. Like, you can just. Yeah. And that's something I say on my Discord a lot, too. And I'm like, yo, you can try things out. Like, it is okay to be like, hey, I'm kind of thinking about trying they, them pronouns. I'm not sure how those feel. And something that I found incredibly empowering when it's been done for me. Thank you, Josie. And something I try to do now for other people is if anybody even mentions to me that they're, like, curious about a different set of pronouns. I'm like, yo, do you want me to try that set of pronouns for you? You don't have to ask everybody to do, but I will just refer to you by those pronouns and then you can see how it feels. Yeah. So you don't have to be 100% all the way diving into the deep end. You can be like, I just want to stick my toe in maybe being they, them. <laughs> have one person in my life call me that. And like, that's okay too. And I think that pulling it back to what you were saying of like, why can't we just like learn about somebody's gender as we get to know them? Because society says your gender should be fully formed right like i mean the day you're born i guess that's weird but that's kind of it right (laughs) that is kind of it (laughs) like the day you're born you're supposed to come up with a fully formed gender that you then don't even like develop your gender you just go through the motions like you're born a little girl you don't necessarily develop into a woman you just go through a series of preordained steps that were decided when you were born yeah and so it doesn't make sense in that societal view to be like, well, I want to like test out these pronouns or like, I really want to like try binding or like try growing out my hair or like whatever it is because like there isn't development is not a thing. Yeah. Cause there isn't, I mean, we on this podcast know that gender is a journey. <laughs> Y'all get it. <laughs> <laughs> but you're right. that like society doesn't, have that or honestly what you just said made me think of the fact that society does very much acknowledge that there is a journey of gender it's just they have decided there are two paths and you can only walk those two paths and you can't push those two paths and don't even think about the paths no but i don't even think that that's a journey though because you're not that's like a movie like <laughs> but, like you're not doing you're not deciding that is not a choose your own adventure book when you are born a little girl in order to grow up into a woman there are no decisions to be made that's you true. just do it and like maybe girl when you were little but like you'll grow out of that like there's no decisions to be made yeah. and actually i would also argue that binary trans people get pushed into the same box by the pressure that exists for them to come out and then immediately start living as their correct gender and do everything like check every single one of the boxes mm-hmm. yeah i mean there's that the, the issue of uh i, I mean i know speaking for the way of trans women the like formative femininity thing i mean i i when i first came out and started transitioning i didn't think of myself as non-op it took a lot of personal like introspection and growth to decide that i want to be non-op for a long time i was like well i guess i have to get bottom surgery someday and like that terrified me 
and you're right but like that that was that's very much because i decided or i realized that i was a woman and then i felt suddenly like there was only one way forward and society it was, handed you a checkbox list and yeah. they were like okay you start here you're getting your estrogen and then you need to paint your nails and grow out your hair and then you need to get all these surgeries have fun <laughs> what estrogen well i think the order probably more was like paint your nails grow out your hair start your estrogen Get yourself a Sorry, vagina. sorry. We definitely forgot. Have a formative experience of putting on makeup. It's in there. That one did happen. You painted your nails and grew out your hair, too. That's true. <laughs> but, I mean, that's the thing. It's like, the checkbox, the things on the list are not the problem. Right. The list is the problem. <laughs> the fact that the list is prescriptive. Right. And, and then people don't think about it. Right. And I think, so I also just finished reading a book, which I totally suggest, called Non-Binary... It's literally, y'all, it's called Non-Binary, useless title. I think it's called Non-Binary Memoirs of Gender Identity or something like that. And it is a story of memoirs of largely older non-binary people, kind of to that point of, like, non-binary is not a new fad. There are people, Mm -hmm. there have always been people in history, and there are lots and lots of people currently alive today in the, like, 50 to 70-year-old range who are, like, um... No, it's cool. Like, I, you know, whatever. It's the kids. (laughs) But this is their memoirs. And a lot of them, especially people who came out in, like, the 80s, 90s, and early 2000s, if they wanted to, for instance, take tea or take estrogen, the only way they could do that was by convincing people that they were transitioning to the opposite gender. Right. When that was never their goal. And that, of course, creates a whole host of other issues. And I think that's still true in a lot of places. And there are still a lot of places in the U.S. where you have to, quote unquote, live as your gender for mm-hmm. a set amount of time before you are given access to hormones and surgeries. Right, because that's safe. And that is, on its own, that already has a lot of issues for binary people. But then what about non-binary people? What, what yeah. is, what, how can you convince a doctor in one of those states that you have been living as non-binary? And then what is that doctor going to do about that for you? How can I convince anybody that I'm living as non-binary? How can I convince myself of that? I have questions. <laughs> this is causing an existential crisis. <laughs> yeah, I mean, these are like these are fears that I have in the real sense right now. Started thinking about trying to go on tea. It's like, man, like I don't know. What am I? What are? What questions am I going to be asked? And how deeply uncomfortable are they going to make me? That's my question. I think in summary, especially for non-binary folk, it is incredibly difficult to get people like people that you meet in passing to Mm -hmm. see your gender correctly and i suggest heavily considering whether it's worth it to make yourself uncomfortable in order to appease that gaze because at the end of the day it's not right if that gaze is incorrect your tits totally masculine if you want them to be your dick totally feminine if you want it to be right it is in fact that and society will see that part those parts of your body a different way society's wrong and that doesn't mean it doesn't affect you people who are wrong have huge effects on other people but moderate how much you let that in because you can't change the mind of like the starbucks barista who is this gender you? It's just not something that's going to happen. And it's not like, of course there are lots of people out there who wear like the they, then pins or earrings and whatnot. I had a friend who practices it on their knuckles. Like, you know, I mean, and, look, and that's, that's also an option. And like, if that's your route, 100% so valid, go for that. You deserve to be called what you want to be called. Nothing that I'm saying 
is trying to undercut that fact. We all deserve to be seen for who we are. And make sure you're not hurting yourself more to achieve that than it would hurt to just invoke a little bit of nihilism and not give a shit. <laughs> right. I think that that's the thing is there is the everyone deserves respect. For sure. You deserve to be called what you ask to be called and you get to be there. Mm-hmm. But you also deserve to feel aligned and at the very least neutral about your body. You deserve to feel like you belong in your own skin and that the way that you are presenting yourself is authentic. And you deserve to like the way you look. Yeah. Irrespective of how other people feel about the way you look. Right. And so if that means divesting from the way that society perceives your gender and having a more internalized sense of what your gender is, then like, that's okay. That's a, that's a powerful thing that you can do. And if you haven't heard that before or you haven't quite gotten there, like, it is something that you can do. Yeah. It's definitely something to be considered because we spend a lot of our time as non-conforming people appeasing the binary gaze, and that's okay too. And sometimes that's what we have to do to feel comfortable out in the world, and that's so valid. And make sure you're not so focused on appeasing that gaze and so focused on being seen for who you are that you are doing things that you don't actually want to do. Yeah. I think is I think is the point. Yeah. Exactly. Gender's a journey. Yeah. Figure you gotta you gotta take steps along it and kinda of figure out what works best for you. And try not to get too bogged down in what everybody else around you thinks. Yeah, for real, for real. Yeah. Alright, so I think that about does it for us this time. Once again, thank you all for listening to Gender Journeys, the podcast where we talk about just what the heck gender actually is in context. As always, I am one of your hosts, Josie, joined by my lovely partner, your other host, Elle. Bye, y'all. And until next time, just keep thinking about it. Music for Gender Journeys composed by Sonia Badash. If you want to stay up to date with Gender Journeys episodes or just want to say hi, you can follow us on Twitter at gender underscore journeys or on Tumblr at genderjourneys.tumblr.com. You can also find us online at josiewrites.com slash genderjourneys. We hope to hear from you soon.